Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to the batch video for the web novel Out of Space from the website Royal Road. In this video we will be doing chapters 269 to 272 and as always I hope that you enjoy and please note that all of this is now available on Spotify and iTunes so keep an eye out for a.s.n web novels and short stories. Chapter 269, World Events 178 kilometers northwest-west of Orwell's Point, Shard River. A long, snaking river sparkled under the sun, stretched away from Blue Thunder's view as he rode the warm updraft of the air currents. He lazily beat his wings and followed the river, heading upwards as he and his crew were watching the river for any imperial movements. Blue Thunder snaked his head back and peeked at Rastras at his rear and winked at the crew chief Stamford, who sighed and shook his head at Blue Thunder's antics. Just a couple days earlier, he had begged to be reassigned back to Haven, and in the end, the CEO ordered them to go on a long-range reconnaissance mission instead. Stamford wondered what kind of monster was so terrifying to both the dragons that they immediately agreed to this mission. Normally... Blue Thunder and Restraz will try and push these missions away as they are both getting lazier in the ways. Hey, Restraz's voice came loud and clear from the short radio frequency. Something's coming up on the bend of the river. Stamford glanced over to the back to Restraz, who did not have a crew of her own. She did not allow anyone to ride her, only begrudgingly allowing the text to hook up a flight harness on her, which held two-way radio and some spare supplies. He carefully removed the binoculars and peered down at the snaking river, glistening in the sun. Following the river upwards till it spotted several black objects coming around the bend of the river, where the canopy of the forest blocked the rest of the river. Blue, Stamford called out, one o'clock, ground level. Blue Thunder tilted his body gently and swooped down, lowering their altitude to an easier identify the objects on the river. Behind him, Restraz followed closely, keeping the short distance behind his tail. Stamford watched his river barge slowly came into view as his binoculars, and soon several more followed behind. He started counting. Once the number went up to thirty, and he cursed as more and more ships could be seen coming out over the cover of the forest and river. Empire! Blue Thunder yelled. His superior eyesight spotted the flags and banners of the river ships. Many, many ships! Don't get too close, Stamford warned Blue Thunder before yelling at Restraz. You two, break off. Restraz gave an indignant snort and ignored Stamford's orders. She swept her wings backwards and dived down like a missile towards the flotilla of the ships. Break off, break off! Stamford yelled urgently in a two-way radio, and he saw what Restraz was trying to do. Stupid beast! The river barges, spotting her approach, quickly fanned out into a checkered-shaped formation, barely in time for Restraz suddenly to snap her wings out and flared a slow hover over the flotilla. She sucked in her breath and the aid of embers, and fire glowed in her air sacs. Just as she was about to spit her frames out, several ballista bolts whistled through the air at her. She judged the ballista bolts in panic, twisting her body awkwardly, and she heard Blue Thunder snickering at her in the comms, making her angry and embarrassed. Get back here, you stubborn dragon! Stamford yelled in the radio. And you, Blue, stop making it worse! Ristras glared at Blue Thunder circling in the skies with anger and continued to ignore Stamford. She turned her attention back to the ships with which they were aiming fire ballistas at her. She stopped her hover and flapped her wings. 
Seeming like a swimmer in the air and dodging the ballistas and arrows aimed at her gracefully, she opened her mouth and roared out a stream of flames over the leading ships. She harumphed and turned around and observed her handiwork, only to see the ships she framed were barely damaged. Suddenly, she heard several horns blown, and on the corner of her eye, she saw dozens of dragons appear from the trees. Retreat! Stampid yelled again. They have barriers protecting the ships and dragons to provide air cover. You can't defeat them all by yourself. Rastraz hissed in anger and turned tail and fled, just as several lightning bolts ran across her belly, making her gasp in shock and pain. The lightning shocked her joints and wings and turned her rigid for a couple of seconds, and she dropped like a stone. No! Blue thunder roared out in fright and anger at seeing Ristraz dropping down and hitting the river's surface with a massive splash. Raz! Crap! Stamford cursed as he saw Ristraz went down. Call it in! He quickly ordered his radio men. Omega point! Omega point! This is Dragon 1. We're under hostile contact. We have a dragon down. Repeat. Dragon down. All Wells Point Marine Command. Joseph stared at the sweeping ex-slave. Matthew, seated in the middle of the stone room, turned office. He wrapped his fingers against the tabletop, copying the way the captain did, and said, You know what you need to do, yes? Yes, yes, my lord. Matthew nodded. I'll make sure no one has any rebellious thoughts. Joseph nodded and the two marine guards at the door. They took Matthew out. Not that I'd really hoped, but I guess that is a start for now, at least. He sighed as the footsteps of the guards and Matthew echoed away. Well, the bigger problem now is a damn snake. We will just have to fix our internal affairs later. Earlier, he had met up with the merchants of the city and offered them a deal. That was for every ex-slave hired and paid with an agreed minimum wage. The government will offer tax reducers and also subsidies for their employers. After taking half of the morning away from the meeting of the merchants, he ordered Matthew to be brought to the dungeons and take a tour, before impressing upon him the importance of his duties or there would be severe consequences. Sir! The door swung open as one of his aides came in. Priority message from Dragon One. What is it? Joseph stood up in his chair. They have encountered the Empire fleet coming down the Shard River and, um, lost Dragon Two, the aide quickly reported. What? Ristraz is lost. Dead Frontier. So, we managed to confiscate enough food for everyone to last for the winter, but uh, looking at the number of refugees that are coming in, Tara sighed, I think that we need another trip to Sin City. Hmm, Boss nodded, gather all the valuables we've left, and this time bring a larger escort along. Don't get caught up by the slavers again. Taras gave a good-natured laugh at Boss's reminder. So, what do you think of this United Nations? Too far away for any of us, Boss replied, hence no point in bothering to think about them, when we have our more urgent matters here. True, Taurus nodded. Well, I'll go further than our men's materials for another trip down. He left the still under construction village stone tower and had fallen into ruins after years of neglect and now began restored to be used as the soldiers of the village which now resembled a small city of a large town. I want five hundred troops, Taurus gave an order to the last company commanders, fifty wagons and as many volunteers to drive them, load them up with all the valuables that we have taken from the merchants and nobles. We are going shopping. Eastern Shore, Gateway City. Dozens of warships and isles laid anchor offshore with the batteries and ballistas and catapults aimed towards the shoreline, supporting the defenses of the seaside city. 
The city docks and piers were chock full of refugees as the remnants of the two-nation alliance sought safe haven with the Isles. Gateway City was the only city with enough deep water facilities to harbor over a hundred ships and also the closest city to the Isles. It was also the main trade hub for the two nations and the Isle to conduct trade at the same time. The massive imperial armory was at the doorstep. The Isles Council of Masters had immediately ordered a fleet of support and helped protect the city as they knew if the Empire captured that city, it would be open the doors to them invading the Isles. If they are successful in repelling the Imperial forces, they can use the excuse of protecting their interests as to annex the city to their side. The John stood on board the flagship, Fury watching the shoreline with angry frown at his face. He brought over 27 warships and 8 troop transports, making the journey in less than a 5-day week, once the news of the Imperial Army threatened the Schleifline of the continent. He knew another fleet, way larger than his, was being prepared at home, and once they were readied, they would come and reinforce him. Hundreds of longboats ferried troops from the warships while the transports were forcibly docked at the harbor. The transports had forced their way through the many ships and vessels crowding the docks, ignoring the harbor master's protests. Over 2,000 Isle Sailors landed in the first wave, while another 3,000 more waited for their turn to board the shuttling longboats, while another 5,000 infantry poured out of the 8th troop transports on the docks. Gateway City Mayor and the garrison commander came to the docks only to be greeted by marching troops and were told that they were here to help resist the Imperial Army. The John had smiled at the nervous and worried expressions of the mayor and his staff and slyly assured them that they were just here to help. The city's garrison commander had shared some information regarding the Imperial forces, which their scouts estimated to be over 30,000 strong. The garrison held over 11,000 troops and, with the remnants of the two nations' armies, another 7,000 mixed allied troops were being rallied. He had brought along 5,000 crack infantry in eight transports, and he had another 6,000 fighting sailors on board his warships that he could deploy, without defeating his fleet's operations. The ships laid anchor as close as they could without getting beached by the tides, so that they could provide fire from the heavy ballistas to the shores, and Dijon was a couple of tricks still hidden up his sleeves against the Imperial Army. He turned and looked to the two flat, longish ships anchored behind the battle line and grinned, knowing that the Imperials will be in for a nasty surprise. Great Ocean Plains site of the Orkin battle with the Great Evil. Hundreds and hundreds of shambling shapes moaned and wandered about aimlessly under the dark clouds of the night while the shamans held an emergency council. They stared at the Orkin survivors that had found on their way to the confrontation of the great evil. All dead! The shamans hissed behind their cowls, in shock and bobbing heads and survivors. How? The chieftains led the attack. We stormed and wounded the great evil, but was set alight by the strange flying creatures that helped us. The survivors recalled the events of the gathered shamans. Grat the great evil started to regain its strength as it ate our kin. The survivor growled and angry tears slowed down. The chieftain, seeing it was useless to fight, ordered everyone to scatter. We could do nothing, only to be food for it. End of chapter. Chapter 270. Dragon Down. Shard River. 
The square-shaped hull of the river barge quaked lightly under her feet as she stood with her hands on her hips while staring up the circling dragon with deep blue eyes. The ballistas on the midships tossed out another bolt into the skies and the deck quivered again. She glanced back at another river barge which had a dragon tied down with the rune chains and wondered if the rampaging dragon in the air was its mate as it desperately and futilely tried to come closer over her ship since yesterday. The mages had informed her that the red dragon's manner was the purest quality. No wonder they needed five times the ruined chains to even magic-locking formation to pin the red dragon down. They were lucky that they managed to stun the dragon with several lightning spells before it destroyed the whole fleet. Normally, a typical heavyweight dragon would not even be able to survive getting hit by several high-level lightning spells unless they had a magical barrier. Even so... The dragon could only come out heavily damaged. The red dragon did not even have any signs of injuries other than being knocked out for a short while. They used over ten high-tier magic crystals to power the formation to hold the dragon down, and it was just barely enough. A high-tier magic crystal is worse than the mass of fortune, and certain high-level monsters produce them. One high-tier magic crystal is equivalent to ten thousand low-tier magic crystals, and the market price is worth hundreds of thousands of gold crowns. Lady Titania, the dragon keeps bothering us, but it keeps dodging our spells and ballista. The soldier with the red cloak half knelt behind her reported, Our shores of ballistas are being wasted upon that creature. And our dragons? Tajana swept her braided blonde hair over her shoulder as she turned her attention to her aid. What are they doing? Um, that dragon is too crafty. The soldier replied, Each time we try and ambush it, it seems to know where they're coming from, as if it has eyes in its back. Hmm. She frowned as she looked at the circling dragon again. Did you see any riders? We cannot be sure. The soldier replied embarrassingly, It is smart. It keeps to the sun, blinding the dragons, making it hard for them to attack. The red dragon has some sort of harness on its body, the soldier reported. We can't approach it as it's what it is, but the red dragon most likely is part of a force. Hmm, does it have flags or tappings to show its allegiance to? She asked, or a rider. No, my lady, the harness appears only to carry some goods. High-level red dragon used as a porter. Tachana shook her blonde head. What a waste. Well, tell the ballistas that the mages will not waste any more energy. Tajana ordered, but keep an eye on it, and if it tries to rescue his mate, feel free to get it. Yes, my lady. Titania eyed the red dragon, which was trying to wiggle its way out of its restraints. It screamed and yelled at the mages and the pikemen surrounding it as it glared with hatred at its captives. She admired the sleek lines and the crimson glow of the red dragon's scales and licked her lips. Be patient, O fiery one. I shall make you my mount, and you will no longer be used as a lowly porter. Tilting her head back, she laughed at the thought of taming such a magnificent beast, and once she tamed it, she would show that upstart witch who would be the top graduate of the Bluewood Royal School of Magic. She was always known as the second best compared to that little girl they called the Magic Genius. But this time... With a tamed red dragon, her fame would grow stronger than that witch. Blue thunder roared in anger, circling above the flotilla as the ships below him, powerless to get close enough to free Restras from her magical bonds. 
Stamford laid low on his back, and he observed and recorded the number of ships paddling down the wide river. Blue! Stamford snapped the fuming dragon. Calm down. Calm down, the thunder dragon growled. They got Restras. She's chained up down there. She must be so frightened. She, she, I, I must save her. Calm down, you damn fool. Stamford kicked her hard against the scales. We can't just go swooping down without a plan. They have thirty ships all heavily armored with ballistas and mages. Not to mention, another twenty midweight dragons are support somewhere hiding in those trees. He continued to berate the agitated dragon. We've called for backup, but we need them to come closer before the cobras have enough range to hit them. Stop your nonsense and act like a soldier, Stamford yelled. If not, you're going to get us all killed without even saving Ristras. I, I, Ruth Under hung his head low. I understand. I will follow your commands. Good, Stamford sighed with relief. Now... Find a safe place to land. You need to replenish your burnt calories. If not, you'll not have any strength to keep those imperial dragons at bay. Ruth Thunder gave a last forlorn look at the weakly thrashing form of Restras on the deck of one of the river barges and gritted his teeth, before banking away and went off to search for a safe landing zone. Orwell's Point, Airbase. A dozen F.A. 1 Cobras set on the side of the runway tarmac get their engines slowly spooling up as a small army of ground crew swarm over the little biplanes. The pilots sat in snug little cockpits and ran their pre-flight checks as the ground crew finished up fueling the planes and checking the weapon loadouts before the wing commander waved the plane onto the runway. Two by two, the planes took off from the simple concrete runway and once their wheels were off the ground, they looped towards the river, heading upstream where their one of their own had been lost. Gul'dan stood on the roof of the airport and watched the planes take off into the skies. Damn, why can't we go and help them? Well, we are reassigned back to being cargo haulers. The CO pilot leaned against the parapet and watched the planes fly off. No supplies, can't win the war. Damn. Gul'dan cursed again as he turned to look at the FB-1 Mariner being serviced by one of the hangars. They had just completed a round trip from Orwell's Point to Haven and back with a load of supplies. The Mariners were in a serious need of some downtime and servicing. Oh well, hope the Angel flight will make it back safely. I think that is the least of our problems here, his friend reminded him. That damn snake is still running loose out there and we dropped enough explosives and firebombs to burn down two cities. Yet, it still lives. Yeah, Gul'dan nodded. That damn snake... I wonder how we're going to kill it. I'm sure that those humans will come up with something, his partner replied. If one thing I'm sure of, there's those humans' ingenuity at waging war, so I'm not surprised if they come up with some god-slaying weapon. Gul'dan nodded again, finding the comments of his friend to be quite true. Well, at least the Cobras will slow down the advance of the Imperials, giving us some time to deal with the god-snake. I... Really wish that we were out bombing those damn Imperials. Orwell's Point Marine Command. Joseph, Dr. Sharon, Magister Thorne, and the other senior staff officers all watched in silence at the playback video of the one-sided massacre of the Orcs by the Snake Guard. All right, what is everyone's thoughts? Joseph asked as he played back and reached the end, showing pockets of Orcs retreating away from the God Snake. Ground troops are useless to fight that thing. One of the company commanders commanded, It will be suicidal and a waste of lives just to send troops against it. 
Attack it with long-range weapons, another company commander added. Stay as far away as possible and keep hitting it. Napalm seemed to be its bane, Dr. Sharon said, and it doesn't like the day either. Fire and light magic are its weakness. Magister Thorn also gave his insight. That thing seems to have recovered as it fed on those, um, orcs. Okay, Joseph summarized everyone's feedback. So, fire and light, stay as far back as possible and bomb it while not committing any troops to defeat it. Seeing everyone nodding in agreement, Joseph continued. Okay, so we're gonna need a lot more napalm for the Air Force. Captain, Dr. Sharon raised her hand. Why don't we contact the orcs? Huh? Joseph gave a questioning look to Dr. Sharon's question. Why? If we can get those orcs to work with us, it'll be easier to kill the thing, yes? Dr. Sharon answered. Also, if we can get the orcs to get as far away as possible while we bomb it, it will not have any food sources around to recover. And if we keep hitting it till it dies, Joseph rubbed his chin as he finished Dr. Sharon's sentence. That might work. Since we have half-tracks now, we can hook up the three-inch guns and tow them out, Dr. Sharon added. The Air Force can bomb it at night, while the three-inch guns can bombard it from afar. If that starts to come close to the three-inch guns, we tow them away and run off somewhere before we hit it again. Hopefully, if we can get the orcs to cooperate with us, we can starve that thing off. Dr. Sharon gestured to the video. The orcs are just feeding it and making it stronger. We need to stop feeding it if we want to kill it. Joseph nodded. It's a good idea, but we are going to need a lot of supplies for this to work, and also the Empire is just less than a five-day week away from here. Shard River. Restras hissed angrily as she tried to blow flames and superheat the air around her, but the runes and the thick chains that were holding her down on the wooden decks shook, glowed bluish-white, and her power ebbed away. She woke up wet and chained to the deck after the whole body tingling and numb before she remembered that she was hit by several lightning spells, which surprised her while she was trying to attack the ships. She did not expect these mortals to develop such spells capable of stunning her. Release me at once, you low lives! Restraz growled and struggled desperately against the chains, rattling them loudly against the deck while her claws gouged deeply into the thick timbers of the deck. Dozens of soldiers and mages surrounded her and ignored her yells as they lassoed her arms, legs, and wings, pinning her as tight as possible as she thrashed about. The mages hit her periodically with lightning spells to shock her and stun her as they also supplied mana to the seeding formation underneath Restras. She noted that hastily drawn ruins on the deck of the ship and she tried to crawl the ruins away. But the soldiers, supported by strengthening spells, made the task almost impossible for her. They pulled in all directions, forcing her to be eagle-spread across the decks helplessly. A massive roar came from the skies, and Restras looked up with hope, remembering blue thunder. And those humans were still out there. She watched the ships launching ballista bolts, arrows, and even spells at blue thunder, but he managed to keep one step ahead of the deadly weapons and spells. No! Blue, she cried helplessly, and her tears formed in her golden eyes. Help me! To her despair, she realized that Blue Thunder could not get close to her, and a final angry roar, she watched Blue Thunder gave her last, and look before he turned and disappeared from sight. No, Blue, Blue, come back, don't leave me behind. End of chapter. Chapter 271. Be a man. Do the right thing. Somewhere in the great ocean plains. Stop dancing, you piece of... 
Crap! Sergeant Seth, the first armored MAW Unit 2, could hear the pilot forward compartment cursing and swearing away as the MAW literally was dancing its way to ruin. He could hear the internal rock structure of the MAW cracking loud and the sad shrieking of the joints as the damaged components rubbed together and the malfunctioning spider tank. The MAW made another few jerky movements before burning out one of the radiators and spewing out a smelly coolant fluid. The MAW stopped and settled down, and the haunches and the compartment hatches opened up as the crew and passengers inside spilled out, choking on fumes of burnt circuits. Now what? Drake asked as he hopped down the broken-down MAW and watched the envied Slow who was riding on his ASAG in a relaxed manner. I don't think that we can call in a tow truck out here in the middle of, um, nowhere. Sath looked at the sad appearance of the MAW. With its external armor plating torn up badly and warped, its bits and pieces of eternal stone structure were peeling off and crumbling away. He knew the poor girl was on his last legs, having carried them so far. How's the radio antenna? he asked as his crew who were fiddling with the top side of the MAW. Not looking good, the crew yelled back. If we had some duct tape, maybe we could tape it to broken mast back together. Anyway, try your best, Sath sighed and see if you can get the broadcast out to Orwell's point. If worse comes to worst, activate the emergency beacon. Hopefully, some of our boys are in the air and can spot us. Great. Now we're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Drake slumped down and tiredly on the grass, and we don't even know where the hell we are. On approach to the Imperial River Flotilla, Shard River. Angel 1 to Dragon 1, what's your sit rep? The lead pilot of the Wing 12 AF-1 Cobras called out on wireless. Dragon 1, currently grounded and undercover, over. Blue Thunder's radio man, Dak, replied quickly. They had hidden under the canopy of the forest for the night and had set up a radio antennas of the canopy while waiting for the reinforcements to radio in. Angel 1, Roger. Angel flight en route to your AO in five mics, over. The Ranger 1 reported. Dragon 1, copy that. Be advised, there are three zero surface tangos and two bandits. Deck, reported. All medium weights. Angel 1, roger that. Three zero surface tangos and two two bandits in the air. Wing commander of Angel Flight confirmed. Dragon 1, also beware that Dragon 2 is being captured and is on board one of the two four tangos. Deck continued his report. Please take caution not to fire blue on blue. Over. Angel 1, affirmative. Randy, POW on board one of the tangos. He swallowed back his nervousness while relaying the information back to his whole flight. All angels be aware of bandits and AO. He spoke calmly as he could. Two, two in the air and three zero surface tangos. The rest of the flight gave their affirmations as they continued on a three four plane diamond formation. Be aware, blue and blue dragon two is POW on board one of the tangos. He's warned everyone. Not long, they cleared the spot of the Imperial Flotilla coming down the wide snaking river. All right, angels, wing one and two will commence attacks on the surface targets. Wing three, keep an eye out for the bandits in the area. Roger that. The two pilots of Angel Flight were made up of freshly graduated pilots, and despite most of them having fought in old Cold Steel armies, it was the first combat and flight for all of them. The two leading diamonds of biplanes broke formation and dived down the pilots disengaging the safeties on their weapons. Wing 2 engage from the rear. Wing 1 follow my lead. 
Angel 1 commanded and the four Cobra of Wing 2 broke off and charged around towards the rear of the enemy ships. Wing 1 and 3 stayed high, using the sun as cover, while they waited for Wing 2 to circle to the rear of the enemy. Once the Wing 2 was in position, Angel 1 gave the order and both Wing 1 and 2 dived down while Wing 3 kept watch from above the dragons. Angel 4 to war, a friendly spotted, one of the Cobra pilots reported. Friendly on board Tango 3, counting from the front. Angel 1 looked down and counted the ships from the front and the vessel and saw a vaguely draconic shape lying on the deck. Roger, all units check your fire. Angel flight were loaded with all on board twin 50 caliber guns and two hardpoints which equipped with 20 millimeter cannon pods. Angel 1 take the lead and alighted the crosshairs on the leading ship and the target soon grew larger in his X as his gun sights. He held down both of the red-colored triggers on the control stick, and the whole little biplane shocked wildly as the forward-mounted 50 calibers and the gun pods fired. Smoke and flames burst out from the front part of the Cobra as he hosed the stream of lead down upon the targets. Guns! 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 He cried out in excitement as he watched his shots connect with the ship that he was targeting. He barely had the lead on the guns and the ship was powered by oars and the current, which moved the ship rather slowly. The only had the angle of his plane up slightly to the center of mass of the ship before he pulled his plane up to prevent ramming his plane into the ship. He caught the sight of the rounds and shells blowing holes through the decks and smoking ship before the view changed to clear blue skies. Woohoo! Tatjana was seated inside her superior cabin below the decks and were going through several ancient books and scrolls on how to tame a dragon when she heard a strange buzzing that grew louder and louder. She frowned, wondering who was disturbing her study and what was about to put away her books and scrolls when the whole ship suddenly shook madly and a loud explosion snapped the wood that could be heard. She felt a pop of a magical protection barrier around the cabin almost immediately, just as the river barge lurched. She nearly fell, but managed to grab onto a bolted-down table and quickly made her way out of the cabin. Tajana slammed the door open and saw several beams of light shining through the holes in the upper deck. The deck she was on filled with smoke and screams of pain and the dying. She ran up the stairs and looked at her feet in shock seeing several more of those ships smoking and listening to the side as some strange flying creature spat angry roars of tiny flames that were more destructive than the blister bolts. Her ship that was the one with smoking could be seen the damage more clearly once she was on top decks. Large gaping holes and bits of pieces of bloody parts could be seen. She was lucky that she had a magical barrier up around her cabin which helped to somewhat protect the river barge slightly. What's going on? She grabbed the nearby pale-faced soldier and asked. Report, uh, um, my lady. The wild-eyed soldier stammered. My monsters are attacking. What manner of monsters are those? She asked as she tried to peer through the smoke. She could barely see the fast-moving creatures in the sky covering her by smoke and burning ships. Sounds of thunderous roars could be heard echoing throughout the city. My lady! The soldier in more elaborate armor, displaying his officer rank, came up to Tajanya. We're under attack. Tajanya rolled her eyes and soldier's words and took a deep breath to calm her anger. Yes, I can see that. Where are the majors? She demanded. Get the ballista crews ready and the weapons. Kill them. Yes, my lady. The officer saluted and then ran off to rally his men. 
She cursed as she watched the helplessly as the strange flying monsters that rained death upon the ships. Wing 3 to Angel Flight, the lead pilot of the Wing 3 called out excitedly. Bandits spotted. The four Cobras on the Wing 3 tilted over and dived down from a higher altitude to the incoming Imperial Dragons flying over the Protector Pratilla, totally unaware that they were being stalked and hunted. Fast and nimble Cobras were engaging the ships suddenly broke off from their attacks on the ships. They formed up and flew in a circle, each pair of planes keeping the distance a few hundred feet to cover each other's rear. The Imperial Dragons charged in, trying to get into a melee range with the crew on board fire crossbows and lob spells at the faster Cobras. When the whole attention was focused on the circling Cobras, the Dragons and the crew neglected to look above them as four more Cobras with the sun at their tails dropped down and fired in the weapons. Suddenly, the Imperial Dragon started to drop like flies as the wing of four Cobras patched through the formation from top, gunning down six Dragons in a single pass. The Imperial Dragons and their crews panicked and they tried to disengage from the original targets. Circling Cobras suddenly broke formation as one and they knew there was happening on the nose the Cobras burst in flames and more dragons were fouled. The aerial combat barely lasted 15 minutes, but the victors were the strange flying creatures which were more nimble, faster and more powerful magic compared to the Imperial Dragons. 22 dragons died that day at the cost of one Cobra, which unluckily crashed his plane right into a dragon as the unlucky pilot was unable to dodge the flying dragon. The remaining Cobras looped around the wreckage and crashed Cobra, trying to see if anyone walked out of the flaming debris and seeing none. They retreated to return to base, leaving behind an entire air cover of Imperials dead and crippled over a dozen river barges and one angry female commander. Blue Thunder carefully balanced his whole body weight onto the top of the thick forest canopy and sat there watching the one-sided battle. Oh me, soon you all won't want this dragon anymore. What the hell are you up to? Stamford grumbled as he watched the battle with binoculars. Well, you humans have those powerful flying contraptions. Blue Thunder sighed. You won't need old me and Ristras anymore. What are you talking about? Stamford turned his attention to the dragon. Why are you thinking that way? Those flying planes are so powerful, and they can beat two times their numbers and only lost one plane. Blue Thunder moaned. You won't save Restraz, and will abandon me too. Stop being silly, Stamford rolled his eyes at Blue Thunder. You are thinking too much. Do you know how much maintenance is needed for one of those planes in each flight? Stamford, seeing Blue Thunder's expression, decided to give him some comfort. On the other hand, dragons are cheaper to maintain compared to a biplane. Really? Blue Thunder perked up slightly. You won't abandon Restraz and me. Silly old dragon, Stamford shook his head and smiled. Asked the rest to see if they want to serve somewhere else. Yeah, why would we want to abandon you? The rest of the crew grinned at Blue Thunder. You're our dragon. <laughs> Blue Thunder sniffed and rubbed his wet nose. You guys, oh, you will. Oh. oh, come on, you fat lizard. Stamford patted the side of Blue Thunder's head. Chin up. How are you going to save Restraz if you act like a crybaby? She won't like the side of you, you know. Ah, come on, be a man. Do the right thing. End of chapter. Chapter 272. Airborne Marines. Orwell's Point Marine Command. Sir, word just in that Angel Fighter successfully raided the Imperial River Fleet and one plane lost. The General Staff Officer reported to Joseph. 
Where is the Imperial Fleet location? He asked as he stood over the map and to the plot table. The staffer pushed three blue wedge-shaped wooden tokens up the map and said, Angel of Flight reports they engaged the Imperial River Fleet at these coordinates. He updated the blue tokens and the green painted arrow tokens, which represented Angel Flight on the map table. Roughly here, sir. The top-down map made by the UAV in preparation for the Imperial attack took them over a week to map out before the UAV was tasked to spy on the Serpent. They report that at least eight ships disabled and all dragon elements in the AO have been cleared. Joseph looked at the set of ruders and compasses tools and measured the distance from the Imperial fleet and Orwell's point before he looked up at the chalkboard stacked against the wall to see if the Air Force taskings. Hmm, they lost all their air cover. Hmm, we still got two mariners on base. The staffer checked the Air Force taskings and replied, Yes, sir. Seagull 1 and Seagull 3 are down for the scheduled maintenance, while Seagull 2 is en route back to Haven for supplies. So both mariners are ground in cargo configuration, Joseph asked again. Yes, sir, the staffer replied. Good, very good. Sergeant Mills exited the briefing behind the company commander, 2nd Lieutenant Silverstar, with a slightly older elf with several years of fighting with cold steel tactics. What do you think of our chances here? If we can achieve total surprise, Mills gave his comment, we should be able to wing it somehow. Sergeant, that's not very reassuring, you know. Lieutenant Silverstar, CEO of 2nd Battalion, Falcon Company, replied. Mills grinned. He kind of liked the no-nonsense commander who was willing to listen to the advice of his NCOs. Well, sir, we are Marines, not airborne. But being a Marine, they ask us to jump, we ask how high. Mills winked at his commander who faced down demons with largely a blink. Don't worry, sir, I'll make sure the boys don't disappoint you. Mills left his lieutenant and gathered the rest of the NCOs. He was in charge of all the NCOs since he got promoted to the company's sergeant major. All right, people, we got a new job, and I'm sure you all have heard of the screw-up they made by the Air Force. The one where we lost a dragon, one of the sergeants answered. Give the man a beer, Mills grinned. Yep, they lost a dragon, an ancient red dragon to boot. Now, as usual, when someone screws up, who do you call? Mills asked with a wide smile on his face. The Marines! The NCOs roared out. Hoorah! Hoorah! Mills yelled back. Now, as Marines can be depended on, or not unlike some other branches, we are needed to go and help the Air Force wipe their rears and clean up their crap after they crap all over the place. We will be inserting into a forest and take up ambushing positions on both flanks of the river. Mills detailed out their operation plans and gestured to the blown-up map of the area of operations. We wait for the Imperial River Fleet to pass by, and then we support the Flyboys. We will commence a raid against the Imperials. Mills continued. And at the same time, we're going to go save our dragon princess. Sergeant Major, how are we going to be inserted in? Another sergeant asked. By foot? No, we're marines are going airborne. Orwell's Point Air Base. Gul'dan grinned happily as he ran through the pre-flight checks on his mariner, while the co-pilot shook his head in amusement. They could hear the crossing and cargo rear on the plane as the marines climbed on board. Someone is happy. The co-pilot did his own checks and pre-flight instruments and made his comment. Gul'dan laughed. Well, at least it's less boring running supplies up and down. Everyone is loaded, the crew chief yelled from the cockpit hatch. Got it, Gul'dan replied before he hit the broadcast to his mic. Welcome to Omega Point Air. We hope that you enjoy our flight.
The internal cargo bay lights turned green and the crew chief yelled, Go! 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 The leading marine took a step off the open hatch and the wind whipped him away in seconds later. The grey parachute burst open. One by one, the marines jumped off and dozens and dozens of parachutes filled the skies. Once the marines had cleared the plane, the crew chief shoved a bundle of crates and weapons and supplies out after the departed marines before shutting the hatches. The two mariners had each took one side of the river and dropped their cargo of marines over the area, before looping back and returning to base. Imperial River Flotilla Shard River, Tatjana was livid with anger. Hers, her fleet barely moved since the attack and had to stop their advance and made their repairs to the damaged ships. She had paced up and down her cabin, barely able to get any sleep, as she thought of the humiliation those flying creatures had dealt to her fleet. Finally, the fleet captains gave the word that all but one of the river barges were able to continue. They had to abandon one of the river barges, as its penny was holed from the attacks from the flying creatures. Over one hundred sailors and soldiers had died in the attack, and so did all of the dragons. Tatjana gritted her teeth and managed to calm herself down slightly when she saw the ship's echoes weighing up and all splashing away. Titania's head hurt when she thought of all the resources gone to train the dragons were just wasted by those cursed flying creatures. She wondered what kind of creatures were they. Were they part of an unknown enemy that quietly captured Orwell's point? A hundred sailors and soldiers were just a small drop in the bucket for her forces, but the loss of the dragons dealt a huge blow to the morale and resources of her troops, not mentioning the loss of the slaves' rowers that were barely worth mentioning. Make haste, Tatjana growled. Do not fail the Rothschild family. Haven, fifteen kilometers from Far Harbor. Intelligence officer Lieutenant Tabor clutched tightly the heavy armored case across his chest as the PT boat crested a wave, making him feel the gravity dropping beneath his feet. He managed to keep his seating as he held on with one hand to the railings. Slowly, before him, the shape of the large island whale came to sight. The PT boat gently bumped up against the floating dock and Tabor climbed out of the boat and escorted the several Navy security personnel. They walked down the unstable platform docks and climbed onto the back of the largest island whales. After an hour of trekking through foliage following a simple trail, they emerged on top of a small hill where the pit had been dug out. Dozens of workers stand at the side and watch with curiosity as the work of the soldiers, wondering what was all about. Tabar looked up and put a saw that was already filled with cement that had hardened, a small portable cement mixer sat at the side of the pit next to a small furnace, and Tabar gestured the worker to start the furnace. The worker gave a shrug and followed his order, turning the furnace up and melting the bars of lead inside. Once the lead bars had melted, the workers poured the molten lead into a pit and kept repeating. Soon, the concrete pit was halfway full with thick, silvery substance, and Tabar stopped the worker. He watched the lead cooling down and taking a pair of thick gloves, protecting his hands. He gently set the armored case onto the middle of the pit and directly on top of the solidifying lead. After he did that, he straightened up and took the worker and said, Fill it up to the brim with lead and then pour the remainder of the cement before burying everything. The workers nodded as they went to work, while Tavar stood there and watched them with an impassive expression. It took almost an hour to finish everything, and the pit was covered up properly with the soil and Tavar addressed the crowd of workers. No one speaks of this incident, or there will be consequences. 
Mills rubbed his bruised shoulder and checked his men, herding them together and doing a roll call. Once everyone was accounted for, they started heading towards the direction of the river. Once they reached the bank of the river, they saw several figures in marine fatigues waving on the other side. King Falcon, you read me over. Mills activated his comms radio. Read you loud and clear, Lieutenant Silverstar replied from across the riverbank. The river was roughly twenty meters, separating the company into two. Lieutenant Silverstar led Platoon 1 and 2, while Mills took care of Platoon 3 and 4. Set up some ambushing points, Lieutenant Silverstar ordered. Dig in and set up the MGs and RPGs to have interlocking fire. Check your men's firing lanes. I don't want blue and blue incidents. You got a boss, Bowles replied as he turned to his NCOs. All right, you heard the boss. Break out the entrenching tools and start digging. I want MGs and RPGs set up here, here, and here. Mills walked along the bank and the river and pointed out locations for the heavy weaponry. Get a team to cut down these trees, Mills ordered next. We use them as barriers to cover up for the guys. Mills reached behind his pack and removed a standard-issued Mark I ET, entrenching tool, blade, and stick, attaching them together and forming a small shovel. He joined the rest of the men, hacking away at the foliage and the soil. A couple hours later, a massive shadow covered the digging marines and blue thunder landed behind the soldiers. Mills took a break from the digging, the foxhole, and walked over to Blue Thunder, greeting Stamford as he climbed down the dragon. Hey man, how's everything? Not so good, Stamford rubbed his aching lower spine. Well, dragons are damned stubborn. Heh, that's why they pay you the big bucks, Mills grinned. Yeah, yeah, Stamford grinned back. Well, we did pick a flyboy for our Imperial fleet, and they are roughly four hours out. Four hours? Mills looked at his wristwatch. Plenty of light still for a nice ambush. Radio man! One of the company radiomen ran over. Priority message to Lieutenant Silverstar. Tell him the enemy fleet is four hours out. Yes, Sarge. The radio man started to fiddle with the radio set. How's the preparation? Stanford asked as he followed Mills to the riverbank. He saw the marines had been hard at work digging foxholes and trenches for the heavy weapons. Some of the marines were even dragging chopped down tree trunks for his extra protection and draping foliage over to conceal their positions. All right, people, four hours till enemy contact. I want positions to be ready in three, Mills roared out. Platoon leaders and section leaders, check your men. Make sure your men are properly dug in and concealed. Yes, Sarge, the men chorused. Raiders, Mills called out. Bomb in. A dozen marines with wide accessories for weapons hanging all over their body harnesses gathered before Mills and Stamford. The enemy is coming down in one four hours. The sergeant Stamford here will brief you on your mission. As you all know, Ristraza the Red Dragon has gotten herself captured, Stamford said. Now, the last recon of the enemy fleet show that she's being held on board the fourth vessel. Now, here is the plan. We will drop you on board the vessels with the help of Blue Thunder. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.